Well, I hope you and your family had a great Thanksgiving celebration. Was it a good day? Everyone have fun, fill up, eat lots of food? Yep, 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 it was good. Uh, if you're joining with us online this morning, I want to just take a moment to welcome you and let you know that you're part of what we're doing here. We have people in the room uh, at our campus in Pembroke, uh, but we also know that people are exploring North River online, and I want to acknowledge them. I do want to take a moment before we begin uh, the message time to lift up uh, a couple families uh, in prayer. Um, you may have heard that John Duty, uh, the husband of Donna Duty, passed away last week. And um, if you remember back in the spring, he was one of the older gentlemen who was baptized um, in our service over here. And uh, so uh, he had not been well, and he passed, so we want to uh, pray for him. And then uh, also, uh, many of you know we've been praying for Jean DeVoisin, um, who was dealing, battling with leukemia, and uh, he had been waiting, hopefully, for a cell transfer, and that was not able to happen uh, they got to a point where he said he didn't want to fight anymore, and uh, he passed away uh, earlier this week. So uh, for Anne, uh, who had been a longtime staff person here, and the rest of her family, uh, for John and for Catherine and Caleb, uh, we want to uh, just pause and, and pray for them as they, as they mourn the loss of their loved ones. So would you pray with me? <clears throat> Gracious God. We pause for a moment to reflect first on your goodness and thank you for life. And we know that you are the God of all creation. You are the giver of life for each and every one of us. And we know that uh, our lives are created for you, for your purpose and for your plan. And God, we know that our time here uh, on earth is short, and we want to give that time to you as an offering in, in worship. And we know that uh, as we've established relationships with people and we've walked alongside them and as we've loved them, that when we lose them, it's a time of mourning and a time of grief and a time of sadness, specifically for the ones uh, who love those people the most. So God, we lift up this morning the families of John Duty and Jean DeBoisin. We first thank you for their life and for their testimony and their story. And we ask in the days and the weeks to come that you would be the God of all comfort, the God of all peace, the one who will walk alongside Donna and Ann and Catherine and John and Caleb. Be with them in the days to come as they celebrate the lives of the ones they've lost, but trusting in the hope uh, that you bring, that this is not the end of their life, but it's the transition and the beginning of eternal life with you. So with that, we can celebrate, and with that, we can hope, in knowing that you are the God who saves, you are the God who loves, and that you are the God who provides. God, as we enter into the Advent season uh, over this next month and as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, God, help us to be more thoughtful this season of the work that you're doing around us and in our lives and help us to engage in the work that you're doing. Thank you that you have sent a Savior into the world. Help us to explore that and to reflect on that to celebrate that and to share that 
And as we do, God, would the, the knowing of you, our God, Emmanuel, you're with us. Your presence is with us. And you lead us and guide us this day and every day. We pray that this morning in your son's name. Amen. <clears throat> so two years ago, I had an interesting encounter at a local gas station. <clears throat> it was around 3.30 p.m. On, a, on the Friday of Labor Day weekends. And I was walking out of the store, and I was getting into my truck, and this person comes running up to my window in this huge panic. And they said, you look like someone who knows about gas. Now, thank you, because I felt the same way. I'm like, is that a backhanded comment? What does that even mean? But they said, I think I just filled my car with the wrong gas. So happy to help out. I got out of my truck and walked over to their car. And I mean, this was a beautiful luxury SUV. It was probably about an $80,000 car. And the person begins to explain that they were having a bad day. They were on this call and with their cell phone fighting with somebody. And they were late for a family gathering down on the Cape. And they were in this huge rush. And um, sure enough, in the midst of the chaos, they had grabbed the green nozzle and they proceeded to pump 30 gallons of diesel into their car. <laughs> and their question to me was, will I be okay if I drive the diesel out of the car? <laughs> so using my apparent esteemed knowledge of gas, <laughs> I explained <laughs> that they shouldn't even turn on the car, that the car would need to be towed to a mechanic and they would need to drain the gas out of the tank. And they, you could see their, like, their whole demeanor just kind of continue to sink deep. It's like this was even more bad news. And, you know, they said, well, okay, how long do you think that's going to take? And, and I'm thinking 3.30, 4 o'clock on a Friday afternoon of Labor Day weekend. I, I'm like, it's not going to happen. But I don't want to be the bearer of that bad news. So longer story short, we found a tow company to get their car to a dealership. And they were able to give the person a rental car for the weekend. Now, that story is a perfect illustration for how we engage in worship. See, just like the right fuel makes our car run, the right fuel will worship. The right worship fuels our life, and it fuels the church. See, worship is how we express our love and our devotion to God. But if we misunderstand God's view of worship, or if we alter the concept of worship to what we think worship should be, or we think that we lower it to just an idea of worship is just attending a church service, it's the equivalent of trying to run our cars on diesel. It just doesn't work. Or maybe we have chosen to worship something other than God in our life. The truth is, is that everybody worships something. We might worship other people. We might worship things. We might worship fame or success or power or money. We can even worship our kids or even worship ourselves. And the result of that becomes problematic because in those situations, our life is no longer guided by God. So how does worship fuel us? Do we worship God the way he has intended? 
This morning, we're wrapping up our series called Church on the Move. And over the last few weeks, we have looked at the purposes of the church. We have talked about evangelism, and we have talked about discipleship. We've talked about fellowship, and we've talked about ministry. Today, we're going to look at worship, and specifically, we're going to look at how the church is fueled by worship and how we can align ourselves to God's plan for worship. The first place to start, most likely, uh, most obviously, is having a clear definition of what is worship. So what thoughts or images come to mind when you hear the word worship? Is it sitting in a long pew inside an old church with an altar, singing a hymnal, singing from a hymnal? Perhaps it's someone kneeling with eyes closed, palms together, reciting prayers. Or maybe the image that comes to mind is someone standing with arms lifted up, singing and moving to songs of worship. The answer could be yes, of course, to any of those forms of worship. But worship is also so much more than that. Look at what it says in Psalm 147, verses, one through, uh, verses 11. It says, The Lord is pleased with only those who worship him and trust his love. Worship is all about pleasing God. To be pleased with someone is to be happy, to be thrilled, to be elated and overjoyed with them. And that is what God thought and felt about us when he created us. He loves us and he's pleased with us before we ever did anything or said anything. And this gives us some insight into our worth, how God sees each one of us. He is pleased just for who we are. We are his children. My daughters, uh, Riley and Peyton, many times I'll go to them and I'll say, hey, Riley, or P, do you know how much I love you? And they're like, yeah, Dad, yeah, thanks, appreciate it. I'm like, okay. I'm like, but do you know why I love you? Not for anything that you have done. Not for anything that you have said. I love you just for the person that you are. Even though you didn't, leave your, you didn't turn off your light this morning before you left out of the, going out of the door today. <laughs> God loves us. And we were created to please God. So if we're made for worship to please God, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren writes, Warren writes this. He says, anything you do that pleases God is an act of worship. Well, that widens our understanding of worship beyond just singing and praying. And, that, and we thank God for that because I can't sing a note. We have the opportunity to please God in everything we do. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, So whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it to please God. So this means that every day we have an opportunity, wherever we are, to worship God. We can worship God while we work while we're making dinner, when we're at school, when we're at pickleball, when we're cleaning, when we're raising our kids, we're going to the dump, we're watching TV, decorating for Christmas. Whatever we do, in word or in deed, can be worship 
if we're doing it for God. Now, worship is not only doing for God, it's also being with God. You see, we'll learn as we grow that worship is a very multifaceted concept. There's a bunch of different layers and facets to it. Worship is about communing and spending quality time, relational time with God. It's interacting with God on a, on a deeper level, an intimate level, where you are walking with God. You're being in the presence of God, which simply means being with him and engaging with him. Being with God is not just about knowing about God, information. It's about knowing God intimately. It's that information that we know about God more than just through our head, but we understand it, and it flows down through our heart and through our, through our actions. Worship is God letting you know that he is pleased with you and loves you, and at the same time, you letting God know that you love and trust him. St. Augustine once said, once said, he said, God loves each of us as if there was only one of us. What if we were to flip that for a minute? Do we love God as if there were only one of him? Or do we have a divided heart? Do we love others or things more than we love God? Do we give God our best time and our best effort during the days and our weeks? Or do we give him our leftovers? That we just go to him or connect with him from time to time just to do a quick check-in. Which is often a prayer when we have an emergency. We don't just spend time with God at certain times of the day or when we come to church on a Sunday. We are learning to be in his presence all the time. So a good working definition of worship for us this morning is worship is putting God, the things of God, and our relationship with God at the highest priority in our life for his purpose. See that? Does that make sense? We are fueled by God's love, and we fuel that love with our worship to him by seeking to please him. Well, how do we do that? That, that sounds great. That sounds good. But what does that look like? How do we love God? Well, God provides us instruction and guidance for the kind of worship that he seeks and that he loves. And I'd like to look at three different concepts this morning. First, we worship wholeheartedly. Here's what it says in Matthew 22, verses 36 and 38. It says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. See, God wants our full devotion. He doesn't just want us to simply think about him from time to time. He wants us to think about him often, engage with him in everything that we do. Loving God with our mind is spending time regularly in the Bible, learning his word, learning and growing in grace and truth. To love God with all of our heart is to surrender, surrender our desire, our will, our control, and allow God to transform us, 
meaning we learn to embrace the ways of God. No longer living in our false self, but we're living in our true self as God intended for us to live. What keeps us from living as God intended? Well, perhaps that we've not loved or trusted God wholeheartedly. We have lived a, uh, we have chosen, we have lived a way of life uh, for ourselves rather than a God-guided life. We have chosen to literally walk in the other direction, away from God, where God is there and we're going that way. Other things and people have our attention and our devotion. And the Bible calls that sin. Now, sin is not a word that we like to hear, but it's a word that's important because it reveals, it opens our eyes that it's a life without God. Now, God still loves us, but he's not pleased in the direction that we're going. So when someone asks Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law, like we just read, Jesus goes right for the heart of the issue. God first. Love him. Worship him with everything you have. In other words, put God and the things of God and our relationship with God at the highest priority in our life for his pleasure. We worship God when we turn our life around. How does that happen? We acknowledge that Jesus freely died and took our payment for our sin. He took our place. He rescued us from death. If we understand that fully, if we understand that concept, it should ignite new life inside of us, a sense of gratitude, a sense of, of um, desire, of thanking the one, of pleasing the one who set us free from that sin and death and separation from him. We begin to desire God and his ways. And the more that we trust and we understand, the more we engage in worship. And in the process, our heart becomes transformed and it's being made new. We are learning to love God wholeheartedly. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been teaching our 401 build class. And uh, out of all four of our classes, 401 is my favorite class of all. Because it's helping people understand how do you partner with God to fulfill his redemptive purpose in the world. And one of the ways that we do that is that we help people learn and understand how to tell their story of how they're walking with God. But more importantly, how they're loving God and trusting him with their life. And we had five people take the course over the first three weeks of November. And uh, it was a great time in learning from each other each person's story. And each person had the opportunity to tell their story to everybody else. And what was a common denominator in each one of those stories is that everyone said the same thing. I learned at one point that it was no longer just a religion, but it was a relationship. 
that I can interact with God on my own. I didn't need a, a priest or, or somebody else or some form to worship God. I could worship God in a relationship back and forth. And some shared how they had to turn some doubts and some fears and, and struggles in their life over to God and how God replaced those things in their life with his love and his grace and his mercy. And they were able to articulate how God did that for their life. So now that when they go out and they're talking with friends or relatives or people that they know, and they're, they're saying, well, you know, someone asks them, well, what does this mean to be a Christian? They're now able to share their story and tell that story to others. I'd encourage you, if you haven't taken 401, we'll do another one of those classes next spring. Uh, definitely be part of that. We would love for you to be part of that class. It's really cool. So we worship God wholeheartedly. The second way we worship is that we worship with our life. We worship with our life. The key to worshiping with our life is learning to do everything we do each day with Jesus in mind. For him as the audience of our life. Here's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, I'm going to be honest. There's times where I read that and I feel like, wow, there's a lot of church words in there. Sacrifice, living sacrifice. Am I going on an altar? Or, you know, what's holy? What's you know, let's unpack that a little bit. Let's understand. To offer our bodies as a living sacrifice is another way of saying to give up your rights, give up your life. This means that whatever we are doing, it's not just for our benefit, but it's for the purpose of pleasing God. It's living our life in such a way that it's on a purpose, a mission, because the majority of our life is centered around being with others, right? Our spouse, our kids, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, our teachers, our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our fiance, the people who drive us absolutely crazy that we just want to smack because they're the most annoying people in the world. You don't have any of those, right? I do, but. <laughs> so we are basically learning to love and serve those around us. For no return on investment for our part, other than we're doing it as a reflection of who God is and his love for us. We're doing it for his audience and for his purpose. Why? Because when we do that, we are an expression of who God is to those who may not know him, wherever we go. We are putting our love for God into action and we're choosing to love people as if we are loving Jesus. If you read on in that passage in Romans 12, here's some of the instruction that talks about how you're supposed to live with other people. It says, choose humility. Wow, bam. Show mercy. Oof, right here. Give generously. Love sincerely. Hate evil. 
Cling to what is good. Live at peace. Don't seek revenge. Overcome evil with good. You're starting to see how worship is starting to come into play here? That we're living to please God, not just get back or put people in their place. But we're extending the love of Jesus to those that are around us. Now, these are not easy things to do. But they reflect a lifestyle of worship, pleasing God, making the things of God the highest priority in our life. Now, this is something that doesn't just happen automatically. This, this takes practice. We come to the understanding, we practice the concept of no longer needing to expect repayment for the good that we've done. Our attitude towards difficult people turns from anger to compassion. And the values of God are on display in our life. How do we do this? Simply start taking steps. Ask yourself this question. What common task could I start doing today as if I were doing it directly for Jesus? And start there. And when you've mastered that, ask the next question. Who can I love in my life as if I was loving Jesus? Ask God for mercy. Ask God for compassion. Ask God for wisdom. That's how we worship God with our life. So we worship God wholeheartedly. We worship God with our life. Finally, we worship in spirit and truth. Jesus said that God seeks worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. Here's a conversation that Jesus had about worship with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we worship must be in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must, spirit, must worship in spirit and in truth. In the time of the exile in the Old Testament, Samaria had been reestablished as a pluralistic society by the king of Assyria as he replaced the people of Israel with people from pagan nations in that region. They had brought in their own gods to worship rather than the God of Israel. So by the time Jesus had met the woman many, many centuries later, Samaria had a long history of false worship in its culture. In his book, Becoming a Healthy Disciple, Steve Machia points out that false worship, uh, points out false worship that Jesus was addressing in his interaction with the woman at the well was about false worship. Steve described that false worship of the Samaritans was essentially selective worship. The Samaritans had taken selective truths about God 
that they liked, and then they dismissed the rest of the scriptures and the truths about God. Jesus was challenging some of the assumptions and the beliefs the woman had about worship by worshiping in spirit, meaning worship was not limited to a location. It's worshiping the God of the universe who's around us everywhere. And truth, we worship all of God, not just selected parts of God. Now, selective worship can be prevalent in our world today. Churches need to be careful not to take all the good and the positive things about God and choose not to believe the things that we don't agree with. Or we may choose not to follow God. I'm sorry, we may choose to follow God, but not the guidance of God, God of how we should live maybe a holy life. Things like sexuality and addiction and anger, little sins like cheating and lying. Selective worship can even manifest itself in a more simpler form. With selective worship in the worship services that we have, when we choose personal preference in style, in form, in songs, in attitude. I've heard people say, not here of course, but I can't worship a God when a certain song or style is sung. I've heard some say, I want to hear hymns. It's not worship if there's not hymns. Or I want, a song that, I want to hear this song because it's my absolute all-time favorite worship song. And when we don't get the songs that we want, we disengage and we check out from worship. Now, this idea is not just limited to just songs. We might critique other things in the worship service, the lights, the video backgrounds, the volume, the room setup. Some who have visited us from a more liturgical background have struggled with a more edgy contemporary service. A statement that I've heard that at one time in my younger years, I was guilty of saying myself about the liturgical service tradition was I really didn't get anything out of worship today. Let me challenge that for a minute. Worship is not about you. Worship is not about you and what you get out of it. It's about God and what he gets out of it. We may have certain styles and songs that are really meaningful to us that can uh, very well may engage us more fully in worship than other songs do. But songs are simply modes and tools to express our love and devotion to God. But God is the one that receives our worship. We don't receive God's worship. We're giving to God by singing to him and learning and giving our lives to him and trusting him with our life. We're not expecting God to worship us. Now, there are many songs, I'm going to be honest, there are many songs that I like. And there are many songs I don't like at all. But it comes down to heart and attitude. Personally, I prefer, I like songs that are more theocentric, meaning the subject of God, the subject of the song is about God. 
You alone are worthy of my praise. It means it's going out to God. I struggle with the egocentric songs when the subject is about us, what I do, what I want, what I need, I am. There are some songs out there that seem, that seem more about wanting to date Jesus than to worship him. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> You're all I need. I mean, like, it, I, I'm a dude. Like, I, 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 I have to make sure that I'm singing to God in a way that doesn't feel like I'm trying to date him and go on a, go on a date with him. <laughs> And there are songs that drive me crazy that repeat the one line of a song like 30 times over and over and over again. And I, I'm like, did someone like skip the record? Like, it's over. He is for you. He is for you. He's for you. He's for you. I'm like, okay, we get it. Someone kick the record player. <laughs> now, I'm not saying we can't have songs that we like. And I'm not saying that we can't have songs that we don't like. But if we disengage in worship because of it, that's a hard attitude. That's an attitude. That's a personal preference. That's consumerism at its finest. We can't go that way. One example of selective worship here at North River is that we, we need to be careful of the feedback I hear of some of the content about our worship services. I recently heard feedback about our announcements some seem to see that the announcements are like commercials, feeling like the announcements take away from the singing part of worship, and it's a distraction by these infomercials. Okay, let's unpack that a little bit. Worship, based on everything we talked about this morning so far, worship is not limited to songs and singing. Song and singing is a form of expression to God. But so is learning. So is growing. So is sharing and serving and giving and testimony. You see, being in community with God's people is an act of worship. So when we gather for corporate worship, these gatherings, all of you here this morning, we're inviting all of us to engage in all the opportunities that we have here to worship. We provide what we call ministry moments from time to time, and they highlight what God is doing in the life of the church. Why? Because that is our mission, helping people who are far from God become fully developed worshipers and servants of Christ. It's an opportunity in our corporate worship to highlight all the opportunities that people can and are engaging every week. If this is something that's bothered you, let me offer two things for you to consider. First, we have a team that meets every week to debrief and evaluate and to intentionally plan our services each week. Every aspect of the service is evaluated with this question. How will this bring us deeper in worship corporately? What will be pleasing to God? At the same time, we are thinking of every person in the audience, young and old and first-time visitor, long-time believer, different learning styles, different worship styles. 
But in all of that, the primary audience is who? God. The primary audience in God. So we're asking what's going to bring pleasure to God is all of us taking deeper steps in worship and obedience to God. So everything, the things that we announce and we're, we're, we're engaging people to take next steps in, that is worship. So it's an opportunity to expose and, and to reveal and to let people know. Second, rather than just seeing the announcements as merely an infomercial or a distraction, here's what you might want to consider. You can facilitate a deeper worship experience for yourself when you stop and you pray for those who are considering or who need to take that step in their journey. Pray for those opportunities to be fruitful and effective. Give thanks to God in celebration for what God did in and through the classes or those events or programs. Because they are worship and they are part of the life of the church and they please God when we are doing them for him. So with that, I'm going to stop for a minute and give you a quick ministry moment because it's an act of worship. Yesterday, we had 40 people here around our campus setting up for our Christmas lights display. Now, setting up for Christmas lights outside and inside the building is not just about pulling out decorations and just making everything look all nice and pretty for Christmas. That's not what we're doing. The goal is to give a gift to the community, an opportunity for people to drive up our driveway, to see lights, but to think, wow, there's a church that's up here? How many times have I been out in conversation with people and they don't even know that this place exists? They didn't even know it was a church. I'll tell them, yeah, we're right, you know, if you look through exit 12, if you look through the woods, you'll see a building. That's a church. They're like, really? And the hope is that when we do First Light next Sunday, that people would, it's an easy on-ramp for them to come and check out North River. And it's an opportunity for them to come and not uh, feel like they're uncomfortable. It, it's just an easy way for them to take next steps in knowing about North River. And we're praying that those who take those steps will come to the service one of the services on Christmas Eve. We need to acknowledge a couple people who've been working hard to get ready for the Christmas decorations. Bob Campilla, Steve Campbell, um, Matt Taylor, uh, Jeff Trippier. They've been volunteers who've been working in and out, week in and week out, to make things ready. It's going to be beautiful out this year, out there this year. It's really going to be cool. But here's the kicker. Here was the best part of my weekend. Even though we had a 45-foot lift up in the air and guys were dangling from it and, and all that, here was the best part. It was one of the volunteers who helped out. His name's Jeff. And we were trying to get to know each other a little bit, and he was, telling me, he was telling me a little bit about his story. And he said, last year at this time, my wife and I were looking for a church. And we came to North River because we heard there were lights. And we drove up the driveway. And there were other reasons, of course, but that was their first touch to North River. 
And he said, now I'm here this year because I wanted to help set up the decorations for somebody this year. Is that not worship? Is that not worship? That's what this is all about. And that's what we're trying to do here at the church. To be a light, to extend the love of Christ on the south shore and beyond for Jesus. Think about it this week. Spend some time on your own and ask the question, is there some way that we're caught up in some form of selective worship? And if it is, turn that over to God. And worship the way God has intended for us to worship, in spirit and in truth. Finally, let me wrap up here. How is the church fueled by worship? The primary scripture for this series over the last several weeks has been from Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. In each week, we read this passage and we pointed to a specific purpose. I want to look at it one more time through the lens of worship. In fact, I'm going to ask you to read it with me. I'm going to put it up on the screen. And here's what it says. Let's read this together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with the awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you see it? Do you see how the church is fueled by worship? There is worship spilling out of every word and deed in that passage. Look at it again. They were devoted to the teaching, to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. That's discipleship. That's learning. That's growing. That's pleasing God with learning how to grow and walk as a disciple. They were filled with awe at the signs and the wonders of what the apostles were doing. That's worship. The believers were together and had everything in common fellowship that's worship giving possessions away to anyone who was in need through ministry giving and generosity that was worship meeting together corporately that's worship eating and praying enjoying each other that's fellowship worship and God adding to their numbers daily that's evangelism everything listed in this passage was pleasing to God there was no other place like it on, the, on earth at the time. It was so attractive. It was so supportive. It was so life-giving and God-honoring that people couldn't stay away. This is a vision. This is a picture of what a healthy church looks like. This is what it looks like when a church is fueled by worship. And this is our goal at North River to be a church, to be a community that's learning and growing in discipleship, that's a tight-knit community and fellowship where people are known and cared for, where we're helping people discover how they can serve and use their gifts in ministry and how we can reach and serve and love others through outreach, all for the glory and the pleasing 
of God. That's what we want to be part of. That's what each and every one of us is part of building together the church, the worshiping church, the sending church, the growing church, the community church, and the sending church. Friends, don't give up in the work and the response that we do here week in and week out. God is working in your life. God is working in our midst. And God is working on the South Shore. And for that, we give thanks to him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, help us with our worship this week as we leave here. Let it not just be a song. Let it not just be a thought. Let it not just be um, an idea. But let it be our life. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us to worship you wholeheartedly. Help us to worship you with our lives. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Our final song is uh, Behold Him. And as I was preparing for the service, I was mindful of three men uh, that have helped shape this church that we've lost this year. And Jerry Kamen, Tom Harrison, and Gene DeVoisin. And uh, we mourn them deeply, but the good very good news is that they now behold their Lord and Savior. And our job now is to continue that mission, to spread the word that there is a Savior available to a world that is in desperate need of one. So please help us praise our Lord and Jesus, Jesus our Savior.